Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, well, good morning again, church. Hey, once you going to get up to your bulletin and your notes, and again, whether you prefer the paper version or if you're a digital kind of person, you can also find these on the Coastal app as well. You can find the notes on there. One reason why we do this every single week is our small groups are actually sermon-based. And so we want everyone to be in a small group. Again, we're getting ready to start the small group season. And so every single week, we want you to lean into these sermons on Sunday, but then get prepared to go a little deeper to discuss this in community with each other. So we want you to lean into the sermon each week with these notes, but then also prepare to lean into your small group as well. So everyone needs to be in a small group. And in case you missed it in the back, we want everyone to be a part of a small group in this season. Now, church, for week three of our series that we've been in, I wanted to ask you a question, okay? I want to ask you a question. Who is your role model? Now, I, I know like th- that term has maybe maybe been different over the years. I mean, some people may ask the question this way, like, uh, who is your hero? Uh, who is it that's influencing you in this season? Um, who is your bae? Anybody still say that? Is that a still thing? Anybody, anybody doesn't know what that means? Okay, yeah. I understand, too. I had to look it up. It means before anything else or before anyone else, okay? So, in other words, like, who is it that, that you have given the most amount of influence to in your life? Like, I've heard it said that you are most like the five people or five groups of people who are closest to you. Or maybe you're, you're most like the, the five people who you've given or allowed to have the most amount of influence in your life. Over the course of my lifetime, there's several people who have really, really influenced me. And one of the people who have influenced me the most is my parents. My parents actually immigrated from Jamaica in the 80s. In fact, 1980, January of 1980, they came from Jamaica to America. And I was born March of 1980. So my mom, pregnant with me, came here to the States. And during that time, they ended up getting their citizenship. um, And they taught me the value of what it means to work hard. In fact, at times, my parents would work multiple jobs to provide for us three kids. And so they taught me that even in this season, like, I need to work hard to provide for my family, which means that I may not be able to get the Tesla I want. I may not be able to get the 75-inch TV I want because my kids got to go to the dentist. And there's things that they need. But, you know, they also taught me the value. and They influenced my life and taught me, look, we need to treat people the way that we want to be treated. As immigrants from Jamaica, like coming here with accents, like there were times they got made fun of, people didn't understand them, but they said, look, you never return the way that someone treats you if it's wrong. You always 
treat people the way that you want to be treated. So my parents were great influences in my life. Uh, another person who's influenced me is this guy right here. I don't know if you guys know. Does anybody know who this is right here? Yeah, Dr. Tony Evans. Now, be, besides his sweet facial hair, okay, uh, Dr. Evans, he's been a, an incredible Bible teacher for over 50 years, faithful to teach God's word. He was married to his wife who just passed away recently for close to 50 years. But he's been a mentor from afar. And he, he's been someone who's, who's taught me like through his readings, through his teachings, that right now, like the church needs to be leading, in the, leading the way and crossing ethnic lines and socioeconomic lines to give that, that piece of that Jesus-centered heaven right here on earth. Like the church should be leading, in the, leading the way through the gospel and showing what that piece of heaven can look like right now. But also he has shown me and influenced me, showed my life like the, the value of what it means for fathers to be in the home and present in their home. In fact, he's taught so many times that when the father is either absent or abusive, it can spell detriment for the family and even society. So even from afar, this is incredible Bible teaching and his passion for fathers and men has really influenced me over the years. And then here's one more person, maybe TV show, that is influencing. Does anybody know what TV show? Yeah, Knight Rider. Anybody know about some super pursuit mode? Okay, turbo mode, talking on your wristwatch. Uh, now, this, <laughs> this show has influenced me with my love of cars, okay, and technology. Even from a kid, like, I could not wait for the day when cars would be driving themselves, where you could talk on your watch. In fact, the reason why I have an Apple Watch right here, the day that will come where you could talk on your, talk on your wrist, cars driving themselves, and this is one of the reasons why I'm still praying that one day someone would bless me with a Tesla. Is that you today? But church, enough about me, okay? Who is it for you? Who has influenced you? And then where does Jesus fit on that whole list of people who have, who have challenged your life, that you look at maybe as a hero that you've allowed to speak into your life? Because if I were to hold up a mirror to you today, do you like what you see? Do you like where you're going? Because you may not even realize it, but the people that you've allowed to have the most amount of influence in your life, look, you are reflecting their heart. You're even reflecting their character. In fact, today, as we continue to look at the Beatitudes, and we've been going through looking at the Beatitudes, we're going to look and see like Jesus's pathway for happiness that he gives, his pathway to blessing. We're going to see that happy are those who let the right influence lead them, guide them, and even that they submit to. But again, oftentimes it's not in the way that we think, we know, we feel, or that we even experience in life. But before we do that, okay, before we do that, let's take a moment and pray. Again, we're in this 21 days of prayer and fast. We'll be taking some extra time doing our service to pray. So I just want to take a moment. And each week I've been asking you to pray for you. Uh, but this week I want to ask you to pray for someone else, okay? So you can still pray for you, but I want to challenge you to pray for someone else as we go through this a couple of prayer prompts. So what you're going to bow your heads and close your eyes right there where you are. And would you just take a moment right where you are? And as oftentimes, just like Jesus even taught us, would you just take a moment and would you just praise God and thank him for what he's done and who he is?
Again, maybe right now, maybe you can't think of anything. Maybe just thank God that today you were able to walk into this place with your two legs. Just thank God that he's provided for you. Praise him for who he is, that he's faithful, that he's already won. Would you praise him and thank him? And then right now where you are, would you just take a moment and pray for that person who knows, who needs to know Jesus? And maybe they're far from God right now, but they, you know that they need to know him. Pray for them by name. Pray that this would be the season, the year, maybe even a week that they take a step toward Christ. And right now, would you pray for the person that you know in your life who feels overwhelmed? Maybe something that's overwhelming them in life, maybe it's fear or worry or anxiety. Again, that friend, that family member, that coworker right now just feels overwhelmed. Would you pray that they would feel the peace of Christ? Would you pray that they would feel his mercy and his grace? And they would know it and they would turn toward it. Pray for that person right now who feels overwhelmed. And then right now, would you pray for the person who you know needs to take a step in righteousness. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Who do you know right now that needs to take a step in a godly direction? Take a step toward his wisdom, who needs the wisdom of God. Would you pray for that person right now? Lord, I do pray for us today. God, I thank you again that your pathway to happiness doesn't look like anything that the world has to offer. God, it's better. Lord, it's greater. God, it is a blessing. Lord, I think blessed are those who are poor in spirit. God, when we realize our spiritual poverty, that we desperately need you. But God, you are rich in grace. You are rich in mercy. God, you are rich in forgiveness. God, that is who you are. God, we praise you for that today. But God, I pray for the person right now that has been looking and setting their appetite on all these other things. God, would you help them to turn their appetite back toward you? God, the blessing is in a relationship with you. God, the blessing is when we find our home in you, no matter what our exterior circumstances are. But Lord, we trust in you and we move towards you. And God, we trust you to lead us and guide us. So even today, God, as we go through the Beatitudes again, God, as we hear from your word again, God, would you speak to us again? Lord, correct our minds if they need to be corrected. Lord, co correct our hearts if they need to be changed. God, challenge us to do the things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, if you haven't turned it yet, Matthew chapter 5. And again, we're going to be in verses 7 and 8 today. But I thought we would start in verse 1, just read all the way down until we get to verse 7. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, just a really brief recap of where we've been over the past couple of weeks. In fact, when we do a series here at Coastal, they kind of layer on each other. As we go through these Bible passages, they layer on each other. So it's important to know the context every single week as we go through this. So each week as we've been going through this, um, we've been talking about what this word blessed actually means. If you're looking in your notes there, you don't even have to write it down this week. I already have it filled in for you. But that word blessed that Jesus gives here, it needs to be happy, fortunate, or blissful. Church, again, what is making you happy in this season? Because oftentimes we set our appetites on these things that are leading us astray. And last week we talked about how Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Real blessing, real happiness comes from a relationship with Jesus, despite our exterior circumstances. And then we've been looking at the background here. And in the background, look, we see the crowd, we see the, the, the disciples, and we see Jesus's authority. Look, the crowd here is from 10 different cities. They were wanting to see and hear what Jesus was going to do next. If there, there were not a couple hundred, it may have been a couple thousand people who had followed Jesus from all these different cities. But also in this scene, we see his disciples. They weren't just here to see what Jesus was going to say next. They were leaning in. They wanted to see what their rabbi, their teacher was going to say and how it was going to influence their lives, to influence their hearts. But then in this scene, we also see Jesus's authority. He sat down, showing he had authority to speak into their lives, to show them what they needed what they really needed and what was really going to make them happy, but also to see that it wasn't based on any type of exterior circumstance, but based on this relationship with him. So this week, church, number one, okay, write this down. Something to know. We need to know mercy and we need to know purity. You need to know mercy and you need to know purity. One of those things actually mean, what they're actually all about. Christian apologist Abdu Murray says that right now in culture, we seem to be declaring confusion as a virtue and decrying clarity as a sin. He says right now we're uplifting confusion as a virtue, but right now clarity we're decrying as a sin. In fact, right now in our culture, it seems like the more we embrace confusion, everyone kind of doing whatever they want, whatever it is that feels good, whatever they think is right in their own eyes and in their own mind. Right now, people are saying that is what's really leading to freedom. But church, it is clarity in Christ that leads to freedom. In fact, Jesus even said in John chapter 8, look, he says, you will know the truth and it is the truth that will set you free. Church, knowing the truth sets you free. And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So a few things to know about mercy and being pure in heart. 
first mercy, okay? God's mercy. His mercy is his compassion and goodness toward those who are hurting and broken. His mercy. Man, this is God's goodness and compassion toward those who are hurting and who are broken. Look, all throughout the Bible, all throughout history, the Bible paints this incredible picture of the mercy of God. The mercy that he pours out on us, even though we didn't do anything to earn it, we didn't do anything to deserve it, but yet God still freely gave it. And this incredible mercy that he's given to us, the Bible paints this picture of how we receive this mercy, and how we're also supposed to show this same mercy to others as well. In fact, here's just a couple of passages from Old Testament to New Testament that paints this incredible picture of the mercy of God. Exodus chapter 34. Man, this is the scene where Moses prays this incredible prayer and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, look, I can't show you all of it because it's going to overwhelm you. It's even going to kill you. I'm going to show you a little bit of it. And as God passes in front of Moses, man, God says this to Moses. He says, look, I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. When God goes to show Moses his glory, he declares, look, I am the God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And then in Lamentations chapter 3, now, Lamentations is this book in the Bible that was probably written by the prophet Jeremiah uh, during a time when Israel itself was in a season of mourning and grief and pain. And the people were gripped, gripped by this mourning and grief. But even in that mourning, even in that grief, God brings in his mercy. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, it says, look, but this I call to mind, the writer says, and therefore I have hope. Even in my grief, my mourning, and my pain. He says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. He says the Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. And then later on, even in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 9, like Jesus runs into another crown. And it says that when he saw the crowds, it says he had, he had compassion on them. In other words, he had mercy on them, for they were, they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And in James chapter 2, verse 13, James, the brother of Jesus, talking to the church he was writing to about the mercy that we received and how we're to respond, he says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has been shown mercy. Have you been shown any mercy of God? And he says, look, mercy triumphs over judgment. And then the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. He says, but God, being rich in mercy. Church, he ain't broke in mercy, okay? He is rich in mercy. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, Again, we did not deserve the mercy of God. We were so far from him. But because of him being so rich in mercy, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So all throughout the Bible, all throughout history, there's this constant reminder of this incredible mercy of God. 
This is a picture of his compassion and goodness toward those who are hurting and who are broken. But also something else to know about mercy and, and purity is that they are communicable attributes of God. Now, I'll leave it up there just for a moment, okay? Because communicable is hard to spell. And if you try to say it, it's also hard to say, okay? Now, I'm about to drop some maybe Bible knowledge on you, some Bible nerd stuff, some theological nerd stuff on you, but don't miss this. This is so good, okay? Because all throughout Scripture, again, like when you're, when you're trying to, when Scripture paints this picture of God and shows us who God is, there are some non-communicable as- aspects or attributes of God. And when you think about the word communicable, think, yes, it can be something that is communicated, but also it can be translated. It can be communicated, but also it can be transferred. Now, there's some non-communicable aspects of God, and some of the things that we've talked about before, right? Uh, For example, God is omnipotent, which means that he's all-powerful. Now, this is an aspect of God that, yes, we can begin to know, begin to understand, but we will never, and it will never be translated to us, we'll never possess it, and we may not even fully understand it. So yes, God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent, which means that he, it's an attribute, a characteristic that is only from him and only he can possess, which means that we'll never possess that attribute. So no matter how much you go to the gym, no matter how many squats you do or burpees you do or some of that hot yoga like Pastor Brian does, okay? Or was it goat yoga? Which one is it? No matter how strong you get, you will never, ever, 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 ever be as powerful as God. No president will be as powerful as God. No government will be as powerful as God. No one can touch the all-powerfulness that is God. So even though we can begin to understand it, that power is never transferred to us. We'll never grow in it. We'll never even fully grasp it, even though we try to. We also see this in the fact that God's omnipresent. No no one of us, okay, can be everywhere at once. And if you think you can, please see me after church today, okay? So we can pray for you, get you some good counseling. But no one can be everywhere at once. These are some of the attributes that are only due to God. No one will ever be fully eternal. Look, every one of us at some point in our lives did not have a beginning. Or at some point in our life where we did not exist. But at some point we were born. Now it is true. It is true that every single one of us is going to spend eternity somewhere. In fact, the truth is that every single one of us, based on one that we have trusted Christ, whether we've repented of our sin and believed this good news about who he is, that will determine where we're going to spend eternity. But see, with God, look, there's never been a point where he did not exist. He's always existed. And sure, sometimes it's so hard for me to even wrap my mind around the fact that God doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. In fact, he's the one who has even invented time. And he stands outside of time. And he can see past, present, and future all together. These are some of the non-communicable attributes of God. And we can begin to understand, but we, they are transferable to us, and we are just barely scratching the surface and understanding some of these characteristics of God. 
But then there are some communicable attributes of God. These are the attributes of God where, yes, he has them. Yes, he's perfect in them. And yes, they are from him. But it's also the attributes of God that since we are made in his image, that we can begin to mirror and emulate and even grow in. These are the attributes that are translated to us and are even transferable to us that we can grow in the more we lean into our relationship with Christ. Attributes like love, like gentleness, like kindness, forgiveness, and mercy. We can be be merciful to others because God was first merciful to us. In fact, church, mercy produces more mercy. The mercy that God has given us, it is designed to produce more mercy in our lives. In fact, again, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says that the steadfast love of the Lord, look, it never ceases, it never runs out, and his mercies never come to an end. This mercy, this compassion that never comes to an end, especially now in Christ, man, it helps us understand, it helps us receive this mercy from God, but then we're also to take the same mercy and to show it to others as well. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy from God. God showed us his mercy, and he never runs out of it. But how much more are we to take that same compassion, that same mercy, and show it to others? But see, also, blessed are the pure in heart. And something to know about what it means to be pure in heart, look, pure in heart is the process of sanctification, okay, that God's working in us. It's where we are pursuing personal holiness and righteousness. It's where we are pursuing personal holiness. This is where we're letting God again give us mercy and forgiveness and we stop chasing or even stop again chasing after those things that leave us feeling even more empty and even more broken. Pursuing personal righteousness is a process. And church, if you realize that you are in process, you're in good company. Not perfect, but in process. I see God has showed us this, that we need to be pursuing personal righteousness and holiness. But he says, look, blessed are those who are pure in heart for they will see God. So seeing God, the pure in heart will get to see God now and for eternity. The pure in heart will get to see who God is right now, but also for eternity. Look, those who have trusted Christ, look, as you go through this process of sanctification, as he draws you near to you, uh, draws you near to him, as he continues like to give you more and more mercy and more and more grace, like you get to see God working in your life right now. But how do you also know that right now, because we also still see the brokenness in the world caused by sin, whether it's in our own lives or even around us, that even right now, um, it doesn't mean that we get to see the fullness of that right now. In fact, God's kingdom is now and also not yet. It means that right now, you get to see God working in your life. It means that right now you have been made alive in Christ if you've trusted him as Lord. It means that right now you are being made a brand new creation. It means that right now sin has been defeated. 
It means that right now you will get to see God, but it also means not yet. Because we won't see the full consummation of that and fully experience it until Jesus comes again or till he calls us home. Church, do you have a relationship with Christ? Because you will see God making a difference in your life right now. You will see that right now he's giving you a brand new identity. But yes, we still wrestle with some of the struggles of sin. But how many of you also know right now that if you have trusted him as Lord, that you can still go to him again for forgiveness again and again and again. That same mercy that never ends is available to you right now. So something to know, we need to really know what it means to understand this incredible mercy of God has been given from Old Testament to New Testament all throughout history. God hasn't changed who he is. But we also need to know what it means to be pure in heart. Look, it is a process. God is working his process in you and through you. If you realize you're in process, you're in the right place. We won't be perfect right now. But the day is coming where because of the gospel, we will be with him. Sin will be no more. Brokenness will be no more. Death and disease will be no more. And even though they are defeated now, they will be defeated in the future. We understand what it means right now, but also not yet. But something to feel, okay? Something to feel. Number two, write this down. We need to understand what's in the human heart. When we're trying to understand what it means to be pure in heart, receiving the mercy of God, we also need to understand what is it that's actually in the human heart. You know, followers of Jesus sometimes when it comes to following him can go to the extreme ends of what it means to feel what's in our heart. In fact, sometimes like we only make a decision when we feel some of those Jesus tingles, okay? Sometimes we only make a decision where we feel the hair stand up on the back of our neck, so that's the Holy Spirit, okay? Sometimes we only make a decision like if God like sends a raven like to our doorstep with a little note on it saying, look, God, like you have to send me a text message about this or I'm not going to do anything. Okay. Like sometimes we go to the extreme end, like we only feel it. That's the only time we can move on something that we feel like we're thinking that God's maybe calling us to do. But then sometimes we go to the other extreme end of it where we almost make it so formulaic in our relationship with God that we feel like if we don't follow all these lists of rules and regulations, or if we don't follow this exact formula, then there's no way in the world is God actually speaking or leading us or guiding us. And how many of you know, look, it really isn't either or, okay? We shouldn't become so robotic in our faith that we miss that there is something supernatural about following God. And we shouldn't become so feeling in our faith that we miss all the incredible disciplines that God has given us in his word that we do need to follow to grow in him. It's not either or, it's both. But I get it. Look, if you have fallen on either one of those spectrums, whether it's been in a season or whether you're there right now, look, I get it. And what you're really doing is wrestling with what's in the human heart. But something that we need to pay attention to when it comes to our hearts is that the first thing, look, the human heart, look, it can be deceitful. Our hearts can deceive us. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Look, Jeremiah writes, he says, he says, look, the heart's, is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, again, good news is that God answers in the next verse. He says, look, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. 
And then Jesus would even say in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, talking about the condition of the human heart. He would say, he would say but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Now again, the heart is that picture of where what we know and the emotions that God has given us actually come to a head, like the things that we're thinking and we're feeling and maybe even getting ready to act out on. It's like where we actually feel and what we think all kind of wrapped up together. And he says, well, comes out of the mouth, proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. Again, we, we started off talking this series like, and, and really looking at the fact that what you feel, it does matter. In fact, sometimes ignoring what you feel can be detriment to your relationship with God and even detriment to your relationship with others. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married now for 15 years. In fact, in August of this year, August 4th of this year, It'll be 16 years. I'm primarily saying that to give myself another mental rep so I remember when our anniversary is. But August 4th of this year, we'll be married 16 years. Now, we, we have gotten um, through this, some great premarital counseling before we got married. And then, again, through some great mentorship in our marriage life. Like, we've gotten really good at having, I don't like to call them fights. Um, I call them intense discussions, Okay. So we've gotten really good at having some intense discussions where we're trying to work through things where we can process it well together through the grace of God and hopefully be able to move in the same direction in alignment with the Lord and alignment with each other after those intense discussions. But in early on, when we were first married, I remember there was a scenario, there's a situation that my wife came home from, uh, from work with. Now, now she is an editor, okay? She's like, she's been editing for a long time. Like, she loves to edit things. Like, if I'm sitting extra on the couch, she'll even edit my text messages as well. Um, but she edits lots of things. And she's so good at it. And even right now, she's still a freelance editor, even though she, like, homeschools the kids and she takes them all the places they need to go. Like, she really is superwoman, um, kind of managing her household and teaching the kids and all of that. But when we were first married, when we were very first married, I remember she came home from work one day from this editing company that she was working for. And she had a problem. I remember she came and she, she told me what the problem was. And she was like, you know, I'm having a problem here, here, and here. And then I said, oh, that's easy. All you have to do is just go back and talk to them. That's all you got to do. And she said, I don't think you heard me. Okay. And then she proceeded to, to tell me the same story again but to give me some more information on top of that. As she was saying, okay, I, I, you know, this is happening to me and you know, it's, it's, I really don't want to know what to do and it's really stressing me out. I said, okay, all you have to do, go back and talk to them. That's all you got to do. And then she proceeded to tell me the story again, one more time, with some more information added to it. And then I said to her one more time, I was like, I don't know what you're trying to tell me, but all you have to do is to go back and talk to them. And I'll never forget it when she said this, okay? She said, look, I, you're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not hearing what I'm feeling. Men in the room, okay? This is a side note. This isn't even my notes, okay? But men in the room. It will be detrimental to you 
and your relationship if you ignore what the women that God has placed in your life are feeling. You need to listen for what they're feeling. And listen here, men, as well. I know I don't, I don't ever want to ping with a broad brush, but at the end of the day, like so many times, like men can ignore what they're feeling, but at the same time, like God has given us all of these emotions and feelings for a reason. But at the same time, we're not led by those things. We don't let them lead us astray. Like we trust the truth of God's word. We don't ignore what God has put in us, but instead we submit it even to what his word has said. Because with it, when it comes to our hearts right now, look, our hearts can actually lead us astray. They can deceive us. That's why no matter what it is we're feeling on the inside, we always go back to this alignment with what God has said in his word. But because our hearts can deceive us, Look, this one of the reasons why um, it's well known. Look, hurt people hurt people, but also broken people break people. Look, when it comes to our hearts, look, broken people will break people. Look, it's kind of what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3. And man, the Apostle Peter, like he was following Jesus. He was in the crowd this day when the Sermon on the Mount was written. But it got to a point where he had denied Christ and was moving away from him. But it was God's compassion that brought his heart back to following him. And the apostle Peter says, look, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And what Peter's pointing to in these verses is the blessing that comes when we bring all of these things that we've been talking about, what we know, what we feel, and what we do into alignment. The unity of mind, love, and a tender heart, this heart of mercy toward others. And he's talking about how from those things, the outflow comes in verse nine, where he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. How many know that oftentimes we do the opposite of that in our culture? We return evil for evil, we revile for reviling. Hurt people hurt people. Broken people will try to break others. Look, it's that anger that seems like it just doesn't want to go away. It's that desire that we have for revenge, hoping that others will suffer just like we did. In fact, we kind of call that cancel culture in our current culture. That's when we're gossiping against others instead of going to them directly and trying to work it out. And are you there today? Are you in a place right now where it seems like the anger just won't go away? Are you in a season right now where you're doing the opposite of what God has called you to feel and to do with your heart? In fact, three questions right now to be able to ask you. These aren't in your notes, but write these down. Three questions to ask to see if you're in a place right now where you are a hurt person who might be hurting someone else. The first question to ask is, look, is your hurt hurting others? Man, are you responding in anger, refusing to let anyone in? Is there someone right now that you need to forgive? Look, forgiving isn't forgetting, church. And sometimes loving someone and forgiving them means that you do like Jesus would say later on in the Sermon on the Mount, that you love your enemies by praying for them, but you don't give them room to walk around in your life with all the toxicity that they're bringing in your life. But do you need to forgive them? You know, Pastor Hunter talked about this at the beginning of this year that it's so important for us to release the person. It's so important for us to release the person because, again, 
all of this incredible mercy that God's given us, we need to in turn give to others. And sometimes we're holding on to bitterness. We're holding on to unforgiveness. And we're thinking that the more we hold on to it, the more we're actually going to get back at them. I've heard it said, church, that when it comes right now, that sometimes like we're holding on to unforgiveness. And it's kind of like, like someone who is drinking poison and thinking that them drinking poison is going to hurt the other person. But all it's doing is hurting you. In fact, it's poisoning you. Do you need to forgive someone? And then to ask the question, look, do I need to submit what I'm feeling to the truth? Again, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As when we submit our hearts to the Holy Spirit, when we submit our hearts, even when it's hard, even when the truth is painful, submitting our hearts to the Lord brings joy. It brings blessing. So hurt people do hurt people. Broken people will try to break people. But the truth of the matter of the heart is also that forgiven people forgive people. Look, this is something that the believer needs to put into practice, that they need to know, but they also need to feel. Man, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, it says that we need to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And another thing to think about our heart, church, is that holiness really is happiness. Happy are the pure in heart, Jesus says, because this pursuit of holiness really does produce happiness. Look, holiness is happiness. Forgiven people forgive people. It's coming when we're thinking about examining our hearts and actually allowing God to check our heart. Look, I, I know we do this often on a Sunday morning. But I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you, okay? I want you to look him in the eye. I want you to repeat after me, okay? Look him in the eye and what do you say? Bless your heart. Now turn to the other person next to you and said, hey, you need to check your heart. Church, do you need to check your heart? Do you need to check your heart in this season? Is what you've been feeling right now, what others are feeling around you in alignment with the truth of God's word? Is there a check that God is placing in your heart right now that something needs to change? Do you need to understand you've been given so much mercy and you need to give that same mercy to someone else? So you need to check your heart. Hey, you need to submit your heart. And last one, number three, you also need to guard your heart. Look, church, something to do. You got to guard your heart. Now, how many of you, okay, how many of you have, have heard the Beatitudes before? Okay, you've heard the Beatitudes before or, or heard, heard a teaching on it? Yeah, and, and I'm probably in the, the boat with, the, with many of you. Like, I've heard it before, taught on it before. And I know some of us are new to what Jesus had taught here in the Beatitudes. But, church, each week as I've looked over this passage and gotten ready to share this message with you, I keep coming back to what was happening before Jesus opened his mouth and began to talk. Before he began to teach him, I keep thinking about what it says in verses 1 and 2, where it says, Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them. Man, the longest recorded sermon in Jesus's history in all of the Bible, giving all these incredible principles and wisdoms and how to build your life to the fullest, how to build your life in faith. I keep looking back about how, look, 
this crowd from these 10 different cities came to Jesus. But then from out in the crowd, his disciples stepped forward out of the crowd, coming to him. And again, Jesus sat down to show his authority. Look, the crowd just wanted to kind of hear from a distance what Jesus was going to say and maybe do next. In fact, one commentator even said about the language used here, it's probably even more like the crowd, they were almost as kind of spectators, maybe even eavesdropping in on what Jesus was saying. But his disciples coming close to him wanted to really lean into his teaching, wanted to really sit under that authority, really wanted Jesus to influence their lives. So the crowd was out here, but his disciples came near. And church, it's a reminder that proximity, it produces great influence. Proximity produces greater influence. Look, the closer you are to Christ, the more he influences your life. The closer you are to Christ, knowing the things of God, the more he makes a difference in your life. And right now, I really believe more now than ever in this season, as our world is championing more and more confusion, we need clarity. We need clarity from Christ, clarity from the word of God. In fact, you need an influencer who's going to influence every other influence in your life. And that needs to be Jesus. In fact, Jesus shows us all throughout this passage, like what a good influence looks like. Look, a good influence challenges you. They correct you and they care for you. Look, a good influence will challenge you. And I love how Jesus will challenge your thinking as he goes through the Sermon on the Mount, saying, look, you've heard it said this way, but I say it this way. Saying, look, like even if, not just committing adultery is wrong, but even just begin to think it in your mind. Man, submit your thoughts to Christ. But then he even corrects them in their thinking. Say, look, you even need to pray like this. Maybe you've been praying like the way the Pharisees did, like prideful and focused on themselves, but you need to pray like this. But then all throughout this, he shows his incredible care for them. Later on in Matthew chapter 6, he would talk about how we don't need to worry about anything, but in everything instead, we pray to him and we seek him because God cares about them more than the birds of the sky. That we seek first the kingdom of God. Church, a good influence challenges you, corrects you, and cares for you. And Jesus sets the tone for this. He teaches in this. But I want to give you a way that you can practically apply it and put it into your life. One of the ways that you can have one of the bettest, the best, the bettest, the best, the goodest, the more gooder influences in your life is by putting people in your life that are reflecting Jesus. Again, so we're going to finish in the same way that we started. Who is it in your life right now that you've allowed to have the most amount of influence? Who is it in your life right now that you are reflecting their heart and reflecting their character? Because a good influence will challenge you to be more like Jesus, will even correct you when it's hard to be more like Christ. But they'll also show you that they really, really care for you. One of the ways that we do that as a church, does anybody know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Begins with an S, ends with a group. Being a part of a small group, you're going to have people who are going to challenge you, 
to do the things that God's called you to do. You're going to have people that are going to correct you. And again, it's not out of a place of feeling superior because we realize how much mercy we've been given. But it's out of the fact that we all want to come into alignment with Jesus. He's taught us what he's calling us to do. Being in a small group, you will be cared for. This group will pray for you, will help you during your moments of need. So I want to challenge you. Again, whether you've been in a group before, whether you were even hurt in a group before, I want to challenge you that you would step into this season and make the people of God be one of the loudest voices of influence in your life. Because right now, church, look, all the confusion in the world, like we need clarity. So would you take the step of stepping into a small group in this season? And then as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, um, I just want to challenge you again. I just want you to be thinking about, look, what is it in these Beatitudes that God wants you to know? Okay, there's something in your thinking that you need to change. What is it you need to feel? Is there something you've been feeling that's out of alignment with God's word? And then what is it that you need to do right now? What is the step that you need to take? Because God wants to bring you into alignment with him, and he doesn't want you to be confused about it. He wants things to be clear. So when you going to bow your heads and close your eyes. And then if you're sitting out there today, church, look, I just want to take a moment and just pray for you. I want to pray for you in this season again, that God would bring great clarity in the step that you need to take. So Father God, again, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the reminder about how merciful you are and how good you are. God, all throughout history, from Old Testament to New Testament, you paint this picture of your incredible mercy that we don't deserve. But yet, Lord, you freely give. And God, I pray for the person right now who hasn't yet trusted Jesus as a Lord and leader of their lives. God, I pray that this would be the moment right now that they will receive the mercy that you want to give. God, I pray that they would know the truth of the gospel, that this Jesus who sat down in authority, who really knew what the people needed, God, I pray that they would turn to you and trust you, repent of their sin, believe in the gospel, that Jesus is God. He died on the cross and paid the price for their sin, for their brokenness. Because you're God, death couldn't hold you. And you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. Now, and for eternity. And God, I pray for us as a church, God, I pray that we would be a church that does passionately pursue personal holiness and righteousness. God, in that, Lord, there is clarity, even if no one else around us is doing. God, may we pursue that personal righteousness and holiness because, God, we will be blessed in heart because we will see you working in our lives and working around us. But God, we know blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And God, maybe I don't know about anybody else right now this moment, Lord, but I need more mercy every single day. So help us, Lord, to think about the incredible mercy that you've given us. But help us, Lord, not just to keep that for ourselves. Help us, Lord, to show that same mercy to someone else. God, we love you. We trust you. God, help us to take a step in you. In Jesus' name.